for the right motives or it doesn't count. If you're doing it for the applause of men, he says you've already received your reward. And it's not much in the grand scheme of eternity. And so he talks a little bit to them about this genuine heart that they need to have. And he transitions right out of that into talking about prayer. But he keeps that theme going of having the right motives uh, for when we pray. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 9 says this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. I think it's important to, to look at those verses before we launch into the Lord's Prayer to be reminded of the setting in which he gave us the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus had just basically instructed them. He says, don't, don't be in the habit of memorizing long prayers that you can recite publicly to impress uh, a public audience. That's not the reason that you should be praying. And he says, don't be like the Gentiles because they just use lots and lots of words, lots of flowery words, thinking that that's what will impress God. And he says, in, instead, uh, pray like this. And he gives them a sample prayer. I think the Lord's Prayer is beautiful. I've heard it recited at many weddings and funerals. We've seen it inside of the little funeral uh, information cards that we, that we pick up. The Lord's Prayer is beautiful. And it's probably one passage of Scripture that is the most memorized uh, and best known by a lot of people. But I think it's important to remember that it was an example that Jesus gave when he was encouraging people not to just have uh, recitations and large memorized chunks of scripture. Instead, pray this way, he says. The Lord's Prayer is one that we should be living just as much as we should be reciting. Oh, it's great if you can recite it. And my guess is if we had to, uh, probably most of us in this room today could recite the Lord's Prayer. And that'd be a good thing. But it's so much better if we can live the Lord's Prayer. And so my message today for us is how to live the Lord's Prayer in 2020. The following are some of the reinterpretations of the Lord's Prayer by children. Uh, one little girl began her prayer like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, what be thy name? <laughs> Another five-year-old girl prayed, Give us this day our daily bread and liberty and justice for all. <laughs> A kindergartner asked God to give us this day our jelly bread. And then there was a little boy who prayed, Forgive us our dentists as we forgive, forgive us our dentists as we forgive our dentists. <laughs> one child climaxed his prayer like this, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen and FM. A young boy prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, how'd you know my name? <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes, right? Well, here are six ways that we can live the Lord's Prayer in 2020. First of all, narrow your focus. Narrow your focus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
So as we look at the structure of the Lord's Prayer, the ingredients of it, the very first thing that Jesus starts off with is a, a praise, an adoration of God the Father. Our Father who lives in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, to say to God your name is hallowed or holy means to say that there is no other name like his name. It is set apart, it is unique, it is special. There is no other category that you can put God's name or God into. He is hallowed, he is holy, he is a one of a kind. The word uh, agastheto or holy simply means set apart. Apart from all the rest, in a league of his own, we need to be more passionate fans of God. I agree that we're not to be merely fans in the stands who simply cheer for God but don't actually get out on the field of life and be on God's team carrying the ball for God. I, I totally get that we need to be more than just fans. We need to be followers. But I think we also need to be fans it says a lot to ourselves, to others, and to God what we choose to be fans of. And think about your, maybe your favorite sporting team. If you're a true fan, your closet will surely show it, right? I'm a University of Louisville Cardinal fan, a Purdue Boilermaker fan. You can be both of those, uh, I, I've found, for the most part. Maybe one game or so a year. Uh, in my case, I can, I can be both and stay married. Uh, you know where my wife's loyalties live. Now, she went on from Purdue and got a master's degree at University of Kentucky, and that gets a little more complicated in our house, as you might imagine. <laughs> but your, your closet will surely show it, right? Because if you're a true fan, you've, maybe you've got a hat, and you've got, you've got a sweater, you've got, you've got T-shirts and so forth, because if you're a fan, you, you want to wear the school colors, you spend money on tickets, right? Maybe, maybe you get them as a, a Christmas present or a birthday present, and, and you look forward to going and seeing them play in person. We post things on social media so that others can see where our loyalties lie. And we, we maybe buy or collect the cards with a, the stats of our various players that we're proud of. And you can ask a, a young boy or a girl about a certain player of her favorite team or his favorite team. And they can rattle off their statistics. How tall they are, how much they weigh, what their averages are, what their playing performance is, what years were they traded, and so forth. Because that's what fans do. And if you're a you're a Colts fan like I am, maybe you have said, I bleed blue. <laughs> it does a lot for us to have things that we root for. We feel the thrill of victory when our team wins. A few years back when the Colts won the Super Bowl, I remember we let our kids stay up late that night watching it with us. It was a big deal. They hadn't been to the Super Bowl in a long time, and here they were, and they were playing, and they won. And I just remember it was very late at night, but we opened our front door, and we went out in the front yard hooping and hollering, and it looked like the entire neighborhood was awake right there with us, if not before they were after. <laughs> My wife's a more competitive person than I, and, and uh, Lincoln and McKenna and their friends will sometimes not come over to the house to watch football, but they'll watch, watch their mom watch football. <laughs> but we watched on, on television uh, later that, uh, that day, next day or so, when the tour bus of the, of the players came back to town and pulled into, I believe it was the RCA Dome at the time, and the pa place was packed. 
on a weekday. And everybody cheered. I was making an evangelistic call that night. And I remember when I got there, they had the television on. They said, I hope you don't mind watching this with us. And I said, don't mind. I was going to ask you to turn it on. <laughs> so it was great to, great to see that. Our school that our kids were going to called a two-hour delay the next day. That's rare. <laughs> it was a big deal. But it brought all of Indianapolis together in incredible unity. You remember that? You remember when the, when the Colts won the Super Bowl? When we're fanatical and we're passionate about praising the Lord, it not only glorifies the Lord and brings Him joy, but it unites us as Christians, right? Because we share it in common, and the victory is ours. He's out on the field. He's done the battle for us. He's given us the victory. And when we celebrate Him, when we praise Him, when we say, Hallowed be your name, holy is your name, you are a one of a kind. There is no one like you. It attracts others to want to become followers. They say nothing attracts seekers more than genuine worship of God's people. And not the flash, not the spark, you know, not, the, not so much the creativity, not the, not the prettiest building, the, the best speakers and so forth. But what attracts people the most to, the, to be, want to become followers of, of Jesus is other followers of Jesus. We need to narrow the focus to where God is alone in his category in our hearts. Jesus said that we should begin our prayers in a way that praises God in his one-of-a-kind name. And what we're saying in essence is, Father, your name is holy. There's no one like you, God. You are first. You are foremost in my heart and life, and I put you above all else. If God is first and foremost in your life, if you're able to pray that prayer, if you're able to say, God, your name is holy, then he's first in the music that you enjoy. He is first in how you earn, save, spend, and share your money. He is first in your relationships. Those with your brothers and sisters, if you're a young person at home, those with your friends, those with the person who's difficult to like and maybe doesn't like you at school and in the locker room means that God is first in our relationships and our marriages. God is first in our relationships with our extended family. God is first in our relationships with our friends. We put him above all else. He is first over our time. It's been a while now since time surpassed money as one of the greatest commodities that we have in America. I probably put more thought into sacrificing time than I do sacrificing funds sometimes because I'm always trying to go three places at the same time and trying to figure out which one of the three is the most important while feeling guilty about the other two. <laughs> How would be your name? The second thing is in 2020, if you're going to live the Lord's Prayer, practice right living. Matthew 6.10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So basically, live life in such a way that is pleasing to God. That's what we signed up for when we chose to make Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. We make him our Lord and our Savior, not just our Savior. Lord meaning master, boss of my life. You are his subject and he is the king. And if that's true, then we live life how he wants us to live it. Because we're not in charge of us anymore. We died to us. And we came alive in Christ, and we live for him now. Dallas Willard said that true discipleship is, is to choose to live your life the way Jesus would live it through you. 
Can you imagine that? I mean, imagine what it would be like in earthly terms if you had given yourself over to someone that you could see and touch and talk to and you said, from here on forth, you have two lives. I'm, you can live one through me. You tell me where you want me to work and what you want me to do with your, my money and so forth. Boy, that'd get real personal real fast. But in essence, that's what we have done with God, the king of all kings, the king of all creation who knows all and sees all. And he knows whether or not his will is being done. In our lives. Um, I have a long way to go. In aligning my life perfectly with what God wants. I don't know about you. It's a daily battle. But I work at being fully submissive. To God. Because that's what I signed up for. When I became a Christian. Just right after turning 18 years old. I did not know what was all contained in God's word. I knew it was his word. I knew that God made me and that God loves me. I, I knew I was not perfect. I knew that I had to be perfect in order to go to a perfect place called heaven. And that the only way I could get there was by being born again into his son, Jesus, and taking that free gift that he gave when he died on the cross, washing away my sins. And that that, would, that alone would make it me capable of spending eternity in, in heaven. I knew that much. And basically it was like writing a blank check to God and signing it and saying, whatever it says in here, as I get in here, the word, and I start to learn it, if it says I have to do it, I'm going to start doing it. If it says I can no longer do it, I'm going to separate myself from it with the help of your Holy Spirit. Again, I have a long ways to go. I'm a work in progress. But every day I want to become more and more in tune and aligned with what God's holy word says. It is absolute authority in my life. Philippians 3.12. Here are three things real quick that Paul said. Philippians 3.12. He said, not that I have already obtained uh, at uh, all this or have already arrived at my goal but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me <laughs> someone said you know we take the pledge he died for me I'll live for him 2 Corinthians 9.27, Paul told the Corinthians, he said, No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And he told the Galatians in Galatians 2.20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Who do you belong to? Whose will are you striving to please and to accomplish? Because if we're going to call him God, if we're going to call Jesus Lord, it better be for him. As I often remind myself, there is a God and I'm not him. And if I'm fully surrendered to him, if I call him the Lord, master, boss of my life, I, if I'm born again into him, then I won't have any problem conforming to his will. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done when he prayed in the garden regarding the cross. And you know that that bitter cup did not pass from him and that he followed his father's will. And I want to I take up my cross daily and follow him as well. His name is holy and his will should be done. Third, trust more, worry less. <laughs> trust.
trust more, worry less. In Matthew 6, 11, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. If you're one that doesn't mind marking in your Bible, feel free to underline or circle the words day and daily. <laughs> because I think that's a big part of it, right? You remember the Old Testament when the, when the Israelites were fed daily from the manna that, that fell from heaven? I think one of, the, one of the biggest tests of their faith was the fact that more fell than probably what they needed for each day. But they were told, you only collect enough for today. <laughs> would you have been tempted, as I think I would have been, to put a little bit in my pocket for tomorrow just in case it doesn't manna? <laughs> I, you know, it'd be hard, the first few days especially. I'd be one to tuck some, and they, if they, it would spoil and draw maggots and worms if they tried to do so. Only enough today for today, except for the day before the Sabbath. Remember that? They could gather twice as much so they wouldn't have to work on the Sabbath. God thinks everything through. But God seems to like us being dependent on him. I, I love seeing my children become more and more independent. That's one of my... My jobs as a parent is to help them become more and more independent. But isn't it just a little bit sad when they no longer need things? Someone uh, wrote in a book that we don't oftentimes remember the last because it would be too painful for us. We don't remember the last time we actually spoon-fed them. We don't remember the last time we gave them a bath. We don't remember the last time. There are some last, you remember the last day of school that you go and pick them up for perhaps but it doesn't take long before they get permits and driver's licenses and jobs of their own and friends of their own. And you hope they take your, their, your values and morals with them that you taught them. But eventually, they fly away. And God has a way of wanting his children to always rely on him for our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. It could have also had on there as we rely on you for tomorrow. <laughs> Because I feel like that's implied in that request. Trust more, worry less. The fourth way we can live out the Lord's Prayer is forgive everyone, everywhere, every time. Everybody say that with me. Forgive everyone, everywhere, every time. It's unconditional, right? Forgive everyone, everywhere, every time. Matthew 6, 12 says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Most of the research I did for the Lord's Prayer focused on forgiveness because it's kind of the application that, that follows the prayer there is about the need to forgive. If we want to be forgiven, then we had better forgive others, right? How dare us go to God and say, I know I blew it, but wine, 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 please forgive me if we're holding a grudge against anyone. If Jesus could hang from the cross and say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, you can forgive, fill in the blank, for whatever he or she has done. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. <clears throat> Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I ain't perfect <laughs> in more ways than just grammar. <laughs> and I hope to be forgiven someday, and I should forgive accordingly. A fifth way that we can live out the Lord's Prayer in 2020 is admit weaknesses, ask for help. 
you've heard me hammer on this one a lot here lately, especially as we looked at how God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Sometimes he even calls sinners in the midst of their sin, like he did with the Apostle Paul, stopped him in his tracks as he was going to persecute the church, an enemy of Christ, and God called him to be an apostle right in the midst of all of that. David and Bathsheba, I could go on and on and on of people who had God's, you know, man after God's own heart, but who had blown it big time. And, and I had been concerned for some time that we as a church, we need to take off our masks and we need to quit trying to be Warden June Cleaver. <laughs> and we need to try to be honest and be real and trust one another and trust God and admit that we are weak and to ask for help. Matthew 6.13 says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus instructed us, we need to pray to God about our weaknesses. We need to say, I'm struggling with this. I don't have enough willpower to pull this off. This is bigger than me. If I'm going to be successful in this, I, this is so big that if you're not in it, God, I'm going to fail. Please lead me not into temptation. Help me to stay away from things that are evil, things that would separate me from you, that would, that would harm our relationship, that would discredit my ministry in some way. Please help me to avoid that which is evil and to ask for help. God didn't call any of us to be lone rangers. Even Jesus, you know, he had the multitudes who followed him. And then he had the 120 or so that were part of his, his following. And he had the 12 disciples. And then he had, he had four that would go with him and pray. And he had two that were special. And then even John refers to himself as the one whom he loved. And if Jesus, the Son of God, surrounded himself by close friends who were part of his mission, shared his vision and his ministry, then you and I had better do the same as well. I'm so blessed to have a group of guys from this congregation that I meet with once a week, 6 a.m., and I know that they pray for me, and every guy in that circle has, and I'll say somewhat regularly, texted all of the others and said, hey, pray for me. I have a meeting today. Pray for me. Got a family situation. Pray for me. And immediately we're all like, I'm on it, man. I'm praying right now. One that touched my heart the most was, I sent out a <clears throat> request along those lines, and one of the response was, I already have, I just did. <laughs> you need friends like that. In his book, Locking Arms, Stu Weber says, all of us men, in particular, are asked to lay down our lives for our wives. We're willing to die for our wives and kids. But no man wants to die alone. Every man needs a buddy in the trenches with him. Who's your buddy? I'm hoping to see us do another Fourth Musketeer uh, Men's Extreme Character Challenge weekend uh, this year. And if, uh, if you're physically able to go on such a trip, I encourage you to, to consider that uh, because it can do a lot for individual families, an individual's walk with the Lord, and for us as a congregation. Admit weaknesses, ask for help, and finally... Rely on God's absolute power. Rely on God's absolute power. If you've been following along with me, um, all of the scriptures that I've read have been from the English Standard Version, which I believe arguably is one of the best translations we have right now as far as accuracy of the Hebrew and the Greek. It's kind of the front runner these days, whereas the New American Standard Bible has been for some time. But speaking of the New American Standard Bible... Uh, if I may borrow the second half of verse 13, they have it in brackets because it does not appear in the original 
text. I don't know if you know that or not, uh, but Matthew 6.13, some translations will conclude with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And since that's so familiar with, uh, with most of us, I wanted to use that as this one final thing. As you live out the Lord's Prayer in 2020, rely on God's absolute power, for his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This past week, and I've done this before a few times, I've done it with the Ten Commandments as well, I try writing, writing it out in my own words as if I was praying it, not just memorizing it, but saying, okay, Jesus gave us this example prayer and said, these are the things, basically, you should pray something like this, this is how you ought to pray, and so uh, I wrote it out. Here it is in my own words, and I encourage you maybe to write it out in yours this afternoon. Heavenly Father, your name is holy. You alone are king, and we are your subjects. May you get your way on earth just as you get your way in heaven. Provide us with what we need for today, such as the food we eat. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have done us wrong. Help us to stay away from sins in which we are tempted to participate. Keep us away from things that are evil. The kingdom belongs to you. You alone are all-powerful. May we glorify you in all that we say and do. And if you're familiar with the King James Version of the Lord's Prayer that I think we've all memorized it in, you're welcome to say it with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Pray with me. Father God, as we wrap up our time together, and as we've just prayed aloud as a congregation to you, Lord, we do thank you that you give us clear instructions on how we can please you in, in this brand new baby year that we've entered. God, I pray that during this year, you would be in our hearts set apart from all others. God, I pray that uh, we would do the things that you want us to do. That, God, we would worry less and trust more, knowing that today you've got it covered. God, I pray for those that we need to forgive, that, God, you would... Give us the humility and the courage to do just that and that relationships would be restored as we begin to forgive like you forgive, to take on your heart in that way. And God, I pray um, for us, Lord, as we uh, strive to rely solely on your power, knowing that you care for us. And God, we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus, your son. Amen.